Namaskar. Hello and welcome to P Guru's channel. I'm your host Shri Ayer. Today I have the pleasure of company of Shri Shekhar Ayer. Uh, we could not bring you his program yesterday, but we are making up for it by having him join us today. And we're going to talk about a couple of things that are playing out. One is about the list of new governor gubernatorial appointments, and and some of those things have raised an eyebrow or two. Eyebrow or two, uh, I beg your pardon. And uh, we'll talk about that as well as Modi's counteroffensive and a few other things. Please like this video. Uh, you know Shaker Iyer's word, words are worth gold. And he has always got a very objective view at things that play out. So let's welcome our guest of the evening, Shaker Iyer ji. Shaker ji, namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Namaskaram sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. And greetings to all your viewers. Thank you very much, sir. The first question for you is: Modi has been hitting back, whether it is Lok Sabha or Rajya Sabha. He has been taking on the opposition. He is upping the ante. I can see that, Shekharji. Now, the problem or the challenge before him is he has got, you know, multiple state elections coming up and must-win states. I can think of two: Tripura and Karnataka. How much of this is going to help him? You think he was touring Tripura today? Um, so maybe you can start with Tripura and then you can go on to Karnataka, sir. Uh, indeed, uh, Shreyarji, you know the we saw how uh, the Prime Minister replied to the opposition both in the Lok Sabha and in the uh, Rajya Sabha. And Rajya Sabha, I think that was uh, I would say a kind of a, a parting shot or a parting challenge. In the sense, he says, "Look, how you people are all ganged up against me. I'm a one man on the side." And in effect, saying you know that it's people who have brought me here, and it's people who will remove me. In effect, saying that you may bring up charges of proximity to Adani and things like that, but go and win elections to get me out. In the sense, the challenge to the opposition is if their current campaign against the prime minister using issues like this Adani share crash. If, if you wanted to move ahead, if you really want to. Make an impact, then you'll have to get the BJP defeated, you know, in the elections. Not just in Lok Sabha elections of 2024. Why not in the run-up of all these assembly elections that are there, starting with, of course, uh, Tripura and then later Karnataka, and there are two other states, Meghalaya and Nagaland, where BJP is not the principal player. So, in effect, uh, the Prime Minister is making it very clear that a defeat for him in the election is only the thing that he sees as a challenge. And not the current campaign on Adani issue. So after his, uh, you know, rather fiery speech, and that had a lot to do with the way the opposition was not uh, let him speak, raising slogans, and uh, in order to just drown his, his reply, because in the Lok Sabha where he had, uh, you know, he was much more forthcoming, and they heard him in silence. Then they walked out, and some of them stayed back also, and where the prime minister was in his elements. But here in Rajya Sabha, I think uh, you could see the Prime Minister really, you know, very angry with the opposition behavior and giving that challenge. So that brings us to a situation where it's very important for the BJP to win these elections, both Tripura and Karnataka in the first half of the year, and in the next uh, later half, you are going to have Chhattisgarh, Madhya Pradesh, Telangana, and Rajasthan. So I, I, I see a very tremendous challenge for the BJP because uh, Karnataka, we have seen that what I get to hear is the BJP's chances are improving because of some correctional measures, but it still remains a challenge. 
and with the 224 uh, member house you know they will have to win at least uh, 122 seats so how are they going to do it and i i believe the the intelligence that the bjp has gathered in terms of political intelligence is if the prime minister were to undertake a very vigorous campaign in karnataka then they can add up to even 10 to 15% votes because there is a separate uh, uh, you know a voter quotient for uh, the prime minister so therefore what is going to see a lot more forays into karnataka by the prime minister and uh, it is going to be a very tough battle and the fact that the prime minister has set this kind of you know has thrown the gauntlet as one would say you know asking the opposition to actually defeat him or rather defeat the bjp in these elections so i'm just wondering why did the prime minister you know set this kind of a, a, a high benchmark for to prove uh, that these adani charges have nothing to do with him or with the government and after that you are seeing you know that prime minister speech has put all the opposition i mean the the ruling parties the ministers the leaders on a sort of a, a new high uh, you know they feel that look if the body has thrown this challenge it means uh, he's sure that the bjp is going to do very well but it's very tough because from the ground reports we get from karnataka you know all the civic issues say even in a city like bangalore the other things are you know are coming up again and again which goes to show the poor quality of governance in the last 5 years and i do not know i mean particularly the bangalore uh, you know the the work of the corporation there which has been such a bad shape and followed by of course uh, attempts by bombay who is trying to correct some of the ill effects of the last 5 years i mean the last few years when edrappa was there and subsequently but one positive sign is i i i, I gather that edrappa has decided to throw his full lot i don't know what is the deal but uh, i think probably his son uh, will contest the elections and perhaps will be fully involved in this exercise that's a good news for uh, for the bjp supporters because it was felt that edrappa may, may not you know fully now coming to tripura tripura is a case where you know the we saw the campaign two days ago prime minister was in tripura rather yesterday and i mean he he made it and the way the prime minister speaks in election is completely different normally when you see the prime minister address speeches there in his is in his own political elements where he openly said you know ask the voters do you want to get back to that era when the communists or even before that the congress was involved in lot of corruption and the system there is what was also common in bengal what is called chanda chanda means you know subscription which the party leaders would collect for everything for every economic activity in tripura under the marxist rule and previously under the congress rule so you know prime minister said think of those days you know trying to rejig their memory to what what was happening in that state under 27 years of marxist rule and uh, so I, i i can sense from these you know fiery speeches that the prime minister is uh, making in the election bound states i think the challenge is very serious and how they overcome it and what is the message uh, you know that is going to give because a single defeat you know it has always been you know for the bjp since it came to power 2014 that bjp has to win every election to prove that it's it's riding high or it's it's having an edge and for the congress they have to just win one election and there is there are sufficient ecosystem to make it appear as if it's a great thing happening we have seen it in the case of bharat jodo yatra you know this one particular yatra of 3000 kilometers was made as you know big deal raul is in his elements 
and a lot of media reports reports were generated to that effect but if you look at uh, rahul gandhi on the day the prime minister you know delivered his reply to the lok sabha he looked slumped in his chair and it see you know from his from the physical appearance it appeared as if you know rahul gandhi feels um probably his uh, yatra has come to a not because the, the political battle before rahul gandhi is where it is where the bharat jodo yatra may have you know inspired some of his uh, rank and file you know to get about doing something but the leadership is lacking so you can see the crisis that congress is facing also but at the same time karnataka at least what i get to hear from congress leaders in karnataka is that they consider it's a low hanging fruit because of uh, you know a lot of anti government issues you know i just mentioned about civic issues so we can see that the battle this is one battle where congress i mean the bjp is uphill and the congress thing it's a low lying fruit but the differences among the leaders how dk shiv kumar how uh, siddaramaiya and their men their supporters and there is a third factor or the third uh, you know player that is uh, the malikarjun kharge himself who is also you know if 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 things come to a situation where the congress gets a majority and uh, he may also throw his hat in the ring and say why not make me the chief minister because karnataka has never had a dalit chief minister apart from the fact that other dalit leaders like parmeshwara and others yes indeed and uh, it will be a very interesting battle karnataka definitely the congress thinks that it has a chance i think sir the majority is 113 if 224 is the number of seats then 113 would be the majority i think you said 123 oh i'm sorry yeah 224 it is uh, 113 yes. 113 yes halfway halfway back yeah, sorry yeah. just wanted to set the record straight so no problem um viewers there is one interesting development the appointment of justice abdul nazir as the governor of andhra pradesh before we start attributing political motives the feedback from those who have actually had cases heard in front of him have said that this man is a fine judge and 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 he has always conducted himself very very properly and uh, to just attribute motives that uh, he is being given this appointment or this post because of his role in ram mandir would be kind of uh, you know ignoring a lot of good stuff he has done as a judge so i think i would like shekhar ayer ji to dwell on dwell on this particular topic and tell us what he thinks happened sir well uh, you know to just to say that uh, <clears throat> the justice uh, nazir has become supreme court i mean has become a governor not only because he was one uh, he was on the bench that gave the unanimous judgment on ayodhya case uh, the disputed place uh, being handed over to the hindus for construction of ram temple would would actually be a disservice in the sense that you cannot judge a person who was on the bench and and tried to emphasize the fact that you know he he belongs to the minority community he is from karnataka you know therefore with elections in karnataka you know the modi has thought of this or the government has thought of this appointment i do not think so because well he was also part of the triple talaq bench which where they refused to, i mean which they upheld the law on triple talaq where uh, muslim women were subjected to the atrocity of their men just declaring talaq 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 
and you know walking out of marriage so easily and after the passing of the law you know the the number of cases have come down to a great extent because of the fear of the law and uh, and also it has awakened the muslim women to their rights as and to and to guard against being abused it has served its purpose to a great extent now uh, given that the merits of those each of those cases after all ayodhya case was not was largely dependent on the archaeological survey of india's report i mean that was there the judgment and and everyone knows that the judgment was probably written by the current chief justice of the supreme court uh, chandrachur and who did not uh, because it was intended to be a unanimous judgment and the author had to be kept uh, in anonymity for the simple reason to show that that this judgment has come out of the supreme court examining all aspects of the case and to ensure that that there is harmony and amity among the communities for the sake of our common future so that, that's the best thing that the supreme court would have done in the situation because any other judgment any other verdict would have actually thrown the country into turmoil now given this situation justice nazir also played an important role the fact that he belonged to the minority committee and it was important that he was on that bench lest any section feels that this was one sided judgment because judges all belong to one community now given that it's very unfortunate the congress party in particular is trying to make an issue out of this shri here can you imagine for the sake of their politics they are willing to even talk about you know the community of this judge and that therefore claiming that the problem there was something wrong with that judgment now if you you are not willing to approve supreme court judgment and at the same time you are worried that the temple will come up in january and you are worried about what will happen to the you know uh, the opposition parties bjp will claim credit the devotees will start going to ayodhya then after that the, there will be a kind of a momentum which the bjp may capture now what prevented the congress from embracing the verdict in full what prevented the congress from accepting the fact that the ayodhya issue had to be settled for once for all now this is the mistake the congress is making and it's very unfortunate because if you start questioning like that one will will look back at the uh, uh, the kind of uh, um, honors that were done to several judges we, we have seen it before people who headed uh, the commissions of inquiry as supreme court judges into the 1984 rights were later rewarded as chairman of the national human rights commission some of them were sent here there you know i mean one one would not like to cast aspersion on people who have served on the bench and then say they got this because of that i think that will not be correct and that that's a disservice to them because and it is also i would say you know lowering the dignity of the judiciary so therefore i think this has but the all these appointments in particular or all you know the other appointments apart from the fact that uh, justice nazir is going to andhra pradesh the other appointments have kept in mind the political interests of the bjp and you can see that the election bound states of say meghalaya as a new governor nagaland as a new governor these are the two states that are going to elections in february 27th uh, tripura goes to polls on february the 16th now and also you can see that uh, tamil nadu has got three governors you know the bjp three governors are from tamil nadu there there was lagadeshan earlier now you have cp radhakrishnan who is from coimbatore 
and then you have got tamilise uh, soundarajan who remains in telangana now what is the significance of this is the fact that with these uh, bjp leaders you know being the seniority they are annamalai gets a free hand in tamil nadu once he finishes his task in karnataka as co in charge then his full concentration will be tamil nadu to prepare the bjp for the lok sabha elections and this time you know they have kept some target they are not disclosing it but i believe out of the 39 lok sabha seats they intend to at least to work on say at least winning five or six seats you know to begin with to have a target and to work for it now the the with these leaders away you know laganeshan was one of the senior most bjp leader he became uh, governor uh, a couple of years ago and then tamil sai was also similarly shifted out so that you know there is a transition in leadership in tamil nadu so this is as far as tamil nadu is concerned now apart from that the fact that you know the governor say for instance if you take the case of uh, gulabchand kataria gulabchand kataria is the leader of the opposition in the rajasthan assembly today he is actually a very senior bjp leader there has been problem between kataria and uh, vasudhara rajay you know in a sense by asking him to take up a governor's uh, role because kataria has been shifted to assam so that means more younger elements can i mean younger leaders can move up the ladder uh, because rajasthan is going to go to the polls end of this year and bjp is uh, very very confident this time because of the confusion in the congress and the never ending battle between ashok gelat and sachin pilot rajasthan looks you know Uh, as i would say a low hanging fruit definitely for the bjp but they need to keep their house in order and have a lot of uh, you, you know actions that are seen as uh, done in unity because the bjp's problem in rajasthan is vasundhara versus the rest so with kataria moving out th- that's a very significant thing that they have done and also uh, you can see that maharashtra has got a governor who is a very seasoned politician that is ramesh bays who belongs to chatisgarh and he has been shifted from uh, he is going to maharashtra and i think that's a very important uh, change and because maharashtra has had problems with uh, bhagat singh koshiari koshiari was a, considered a very senior leader from uttarakhand but then his pronouncements led to situation where the bjp had to be on the defensive and bjp's alliance partners were at the defensive whether he talked about chatrapati shivaji or about uh, you know other leaders other icons of maharashtra you know it was it was quite a difficulty for i mean quite a challenge for the bjp leaders and he was sounded very a type to avoid the controversies but with mumbai civic elections approaching and also civil elections to uh, the bigger cities in maharashtra whether it is pune aurangabad nashik or dakpur i think uh, the bjp decided that koshiari had to you know take retirement that's why he resigned his resignation was accepted and we all know the prime minister himself conveyed uh, you know the center's desire that he should step aside so that's also very important uh, development and also sir ladakh will have a new um, you know lieutenant governor and uh, that is that is very important because you know ladakh has of late has been facing problems initially when article 370 was removed people of ladakh were very happy but we have been getting reports from ladakh that some of the local population there has been lot of unrest 
you know, people have been agitating. They have been claiming there is a delay in the promises made to the people of Ladakh that Article 370 was removed. So you need a very seasoned person to go there and you have uh, Brigadier B.D. Mishra who has gone from, uh, you know, Arunachal Pradesh, he's moving to Ladakh. So one can see that uh, the, the changes are being made with, uh, with the eye on sorting out the local problems, seeing the electoral challenges of the BJP ahead, in the months ahead, and also, you know, putting new people in the governor's chair in the larger interest of the political interests of the BJP and as well as to face situations where if they are headed for elections, what happens if there is a house and the governor roles becomes uh, very prominent? Um, only when we hear uh, Shekhar IAJ do we realize what a delicate balancing exercise it was, appointing all these governors, moving some people down uh, out, and then, uh, you know, gently, you know, recognizing the sensitivity of some of the state elections and so on and so forth. So uh, that's one thing that I thought was very uh, commendable on part of the Modi government. And, and Shekharji, the, about uh, Justice Abdul Nazir, see, one thing that we all should remember is whenever justice is served, it should not only be fair, but appear to be fair. This appeared to be fair is where when um, Nazir sits on the judgment in Triple Talak or in Ram Mandir, you understand that this is not one community, it is not one section of the population, but India, which said that Ram Mandir has to be put there. So let's move on to the next uh, topic, sir. Um, James Bond. Uh, <laughs> Ajit Doval. It sounds better when I say James Bond. Ajit Dovalji has been on... Uh, a terrific tour of uh, United States, United Kingdom, and Russia. We touched upon this a little bit yesterday when we talked to Sri Delhi R. Rajagopalan. But now that he is back, Shekharji, you have a very different lens that you look at when some of these things happen. I'm sure our viewers would like to know how you saw that visit, sir. Well, uh, you know, there have been a lot of uh, you know phone calls between White House and the, our Prime Minister's residence in Delhi and as well as Kremlin. A lot of back-channel things are happening and uh, that, that involves, you know, the situation in Ukraine. America is actually expecting Prime Minister Modi to use his good offices with uh, Russian President Putin to see that things are de-escalated and if some kind of a ceasefire can be worked out. And uh, my information is, Doval was in uh, Russia. Before that, he was in America. Of course, in, in America, he met his counterpart and that had a lot to do with many of the defense and other collaborations that are going on between America and India on several fields, particularly relating to technology transfer, joint research, joint operation in some strategic areas and ways and measures to contain China uh, in their own way. I mean, that has been ongoing dialogue. But soon after that, uh, we had a conference in Moscow of countries that have shares border with Afghanistan and India was invited and India has had <clears throat> set reservations about uh, Afghanistan since the Taliban took over. We, we resumed humanitarian aid to Afghanistan. We shipped wheat to Afghanistan because of Af Afghanistan has been facing sheer shortage of food and those shipments were sent through Pakistan. Now, the trucks laden with wheat went through Pakistan to reach Afghanistan and other medical supplies have also been going from India to Afghanistan. And the situation in Afghanistan is quite precarious. And also, this, our concern is 
you know, our worries are rather more related to that the, the happenings in Afghanistan should not have a fallout on our Kashmir border. Uh, of course, Pakistan is now in a severe economic crisis. It's no more in a position to undertake any military adventurism, you know, of whatever kind. And with their difficulties in negotiating a package from the International Monetary Fund, one can sense the kind of uh, anxiety that is there in the establishment, particularly the ministerial establishment, with IMF insisting on they cut back on the you know the military uh, expenses, ex military expenditure. So that's the what's happening in Pakistan. But what is interesting that we gather in Moscow is, you know, all the national security advisors of all the countries, Tajikistan, you know, all those countries which are, uh, which are bordering Afghanistan, they had a, a meeting in Moscow. And after that, the President Putin met all these NSAs. But it, his meeting with the NSA, particularly with our uh, national security advisor, Ajit Doval, I'm told that uh, President Putin waived off his other aides, accepting the interpreter, and they spent more than 55 minutes one-on-one -on -one just with the interpreters, and where I think a proposal how to bring about ceasefire in Ukraine was uh, taken up. We do not know the contours of that, what kind of a peace formula it could be, what kind of truce it would be. Of course, you have seen Germany being forced to send their uh, leopard tanks. We have seen America also promising more of the sophisticated aircraft. But uh, I mean, uh, America can transfer anything, but it cannot transfer the immediate know-how to handle these things. Because even to send their latest uh, aircraft, they will need first to train the Ukraine pilots. That's all going to take a long time. And even that's the case with sophisticated uh, uh, you know, leopard tanks, which are used by German forces. Now, on one hand, the West is trying to signal that they are backing up to Ukraine in full way. And your Ukrainian president was the other day in um, London, met with uh, Prime Minister Rishak, uh, Rishi Sudak. And again, he pleaded for, you know, arms and weapons and aircraft, you know, whatnot. But at the same time, I think America realizes that this battle cannot go on. And they, they had to, they've had to look askance at India's you know, oil deal with Russia, which continues, which has to a great extent help us contain inflation and keep the, you know, uh, prices of uh, crude prices, fuel prices at a, uh, at one level rather, somehow keep it at a level. Uh, otherwise, things would have gone haywire for us. At the same time, I think there is a serious effort going on, uh, which uh, I do not know what shape it's going to take. I believe there could be an announcement soon, probably with Prime Minister Modi himself undertaking you know, some kind of an initiative, you know, getting Putin and Biden and other Western leaders to agree on some kind of a formula. But one thing is clear, I think it is that formula would require that Ukraine, you know, refrains from openly, you know, siding with NATO or and not allowing the NATO forces on its soil and in turn Russia uh, not pursuing its aggression further. I don't know what's the formula, but definitely Ukraine's situation was discussed between Doval and Putin, and about India's role. Sir, but very interestingly, I mean, coincidentally or with a purpose, I do not know, the, you know, two days ago, we heard statements from the U.S. State Departments, you know, uh, very pertinent observations saying that India can persuade President Putin to end the war, you know, openly acknowledging the fact that the India has a tremendous influence on Putin. Um. 
Shekhar ji, you, you touch upon so many things that I felt compelled that I need to interrupt just for one minute and I'll come back to you. Uh, I'll give the yield the floor back to you. Sir, it is believed, it is believed that Prime Minister Modi told Putin, don't bomb civilian targets. And, and this message went about three, four months ago. If you remember, one hospital was damaged, uh, a shelter was damaged and so on and so forth. And after that, not much. And, and these are small things, but I think uh, saying it in the right way makes a big difference. So I yield the photo back to you. But before that, viewers, please like this program. Uh, you know that we don't waste your time. And Shekharji has done tremendous amount of research. I just have his notes here in front of me. I'm just bowled over as to how much he has prepared for this program in the short time that I gave him. So please like this video. Let it go viral. And back to you, Shekharji. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Shriyarji. But 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 what my worries are, you know, President Zelensky himself needs to do a lot more because he is still looking at the West to provide him a solution, and and increasingly you can see the problems that the Europe is facing, problems that UK is facing. You know, bearing America, everybody seems to be having problem in you know meeting energy shortages, and uh, and with the kind of pressures that the economy is facing with you know recession. Uh, uh, you know, appearing on the horizon, as it were. And I think if an offer is made, I think Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, should, you know, grab it. And at the same time, uh, as you mentioned, yes, there, there is a change in the Russian strategy because uh, that kind of bombing has not happened. That, that's absolutely correct. And at the same time, in some areas, they have even pulled back their troops. Some people called it a tactical retreat, but others say that, well, bearing the region where the Russian-speaking forces are there and uh, uh, where there is a Russian-speaking population, even in those areas, some of the areas, Russian troops have you know, pulled back to their previous position. So obviously, there's something is happening on the ground. Something is happening. I mean, people are working on the telephone lines to you know, move forward. So we'll have to wait and see. What will happen in the next couple of weeks? Um, Chekhaji, I forgot to uh, update uh, one, one other information data point on what you said about engagement of India with Afghanistan. Two things happened. And one of the things was mentioned about a few months ago by Major Madan Kumar. What used to happen was, you know, the wheat trucks, they were also trucks carrying simple things like Britannia biscuits. And they were going through Pakistan. And Pakistan actually was trying to steal some of those things. I hate to say this. They were also putting a lot of unreasonable restrictions. For example, they said that these trucks cannot have anything to do with it. Like the India is sending food to Afghanistan. India said, fine. Then they said every box that had things such as, like, let us say there's a big one, one foot by one foot by one foot box inside which you've got all these, you know, Britannia biscuit packets. They said on this cardboard box, you cannot have the, the signage of Britannia. Then they said on the individual wrapper of each of these, uh, you know, biscuit packets, you cannot have the name of the company. Such silly, silly things. And you know what India did? All they did was they said to the manufacturers, put your logo on the biscuit itself. Because ultimately, that's what the person is going to eat. That's when they'll remember us. So that's one thing. Second thing is Afghanistan has invited India 
to finish the two bridges, I think it is uh, dams that India has been working on. One of them is very essential. It's on the Kabul River. That can really help Afghanistan wean itself away from opium, which is their main crop today. Unfortunate. So it's a very different, hilly, rocky, harsh region with extreme weather climates. They have a lot of natural resources. But beyond that, you know, as a human being, I think India is trying to look at them that way. Um, Shekharji, if you would like to add something, please feel free, sir. After that, we can go to questions. So, the, sir, Pakistan is also having problems with Afghanistan, you know, oh, yes. despite and recently there were clashes on the Pakistan-Afghanistan border also. Yes. So, yes. which goes to show that uh, things are on the boil there. And uh, uh, I cannot but, uh, you know, uh, just recall the fact that the joke going around in Pakistan um, and also I think quoted by our one of our former raw uh, official was that only Modi can save Pakistan probably with an economic package. <laughs> <laughs> this is the joke probably if the, if the IMF imposes so many conditions, perhaps our condition would be just, you know, drop Kashmir, stop terrorism, that's all. Maybe we can help them too. So this could be the message. Yes, indeed. And now let's take up some questions. We have a fair amount of questions for you, Shekharji. Magnet Ranga wants to know, by constantly attacking Adani Group, isn't Congress antagonizing industrial and business houses in India by giving up anti-business opinion? Definitely, uh, I would agree with uh, Rangaji because, uh, you know, I mean, what is happening is the Congress is a centrist party. Rather, it was supposed to be a centrist party. We saw Prime Minister Narasimharao brought economic liberalization. And after that, the, the Congress has always been the following the middle of the road, you know, the middle path, as Narasimha would say. But when Sonia Gandhi took over in 20, uh, you know, after they came to power and it was a Sonia Gandhi-run government, it gradually things began to shift towards the left. And with Rahul Gandhi taking charge, more of radical left view started gaining ground. And in the result, you have a Congress party which is which is actually had, you know, which brought the economic liberalization uh, in, the, in the early 90s and subsequently falling victim to its own propaganda, which in order to counter Modi has been attacking all kinds of business. And when the fact that some of the Congress governments have done business and Adani's fortunes, uh, we discussed it last year, it grew during the period when... Uh, uh, you know, Rajiv Gandhi's time and subsequently also. So, and even today, you have had uh, governments in Rajasthan, why Kamalnath as Chief Minister of Madhya Pradesh, you know, they have had best of relations with these, uh, this is particularly Adani. I think uh, what, what we have to understood is that even said the other day, I mean, uh, it was being mentioned. Now, talking about LIC, you know, LIC being influenced by this government to put more money on Adani. They had, you see, they had, they had put money in other uh, times also in other companies. And they, LIC had also had to sustain loss. In the case of, say, uh, Jindal Group, the, the case of JPs, there are other groups also. So this has happened before. But this particular case is different. You know, the, the simple fact. And today I happened to talk to a central minister because uh, uh, there have been criticism that why were so many airports given to Adani? Because this is a charge that was made inside the parliament too. Because when this uh, the decision was taken to allow more airports to be privatized and given to you know, companies to handle them for, for their expansion, for their uh, 
for their modernizing these airports the 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 condition first condition was that it, the, the only those companies should bid uh, those who have had experience in handling airports now incidentally there were no more than two companies or three companies who have had that experience because in order to have an experience you must have a first opportunity and when that proposal was put before uh, the committee of secretaries they decided that if we were to put that condition that would lead to cartelization of companies which have that experience and between them they could decide that what well, this is the price we will quote and the government would have to hand over to them because that's the only condition so it was decided we will not allow that now the question is asked then if you were doing away with that condition why did you not put a cap on the number of airports to be given to a person but what i gather you know from the from what the minister told me was they did not wish to put a cap not because they wanted adani to buy i mean take over win all the bid the fact is adani has so far in term in when it comes to fast projects he has had that energy and the dynamism and got many projects completed on time particularly infrastructure projects and they didn't want to put the cap because the number of airports that need to be expanded and developed as part of connectivity as part of infrastructure uh, you know uh, rebuilding of the infrastructure or even creating a new infrastructure that needed that companies which have the drive and energy and resources uh, they, there is no cap on them because when you are looking at you know developing at least 50 airports so you cannot say a airport, one company will not do more than two three airports because that would be till they finish this they will come to those airports then to be developed this is the logic i was given and as to you know business companies paying parties in power i mean at least in the case of bjp they pay the party earlier they were paying individual leaders in the congress because individual congress leader never wanted funds to go to the party because their clout in the party depends on how much individually they collect funds this is to do with the finance model adopted by the parties the bjp and the congress so that's the question apart therefore of course this is this is also a wake up call for adanis he probably need to be less ambitious at the same time sir there is a sense in the government which i could gather though they are not willing to openly say it that this is a lot to do with the corporate warfare on a global scale because adani is a global company so they are having enemies because they are able to outbid some of these big foreign companies in outside i mean uh, outside india particularly they say in israel that israeli port which went the second company was a chinese company so it's quite possible there are companies who are you know there is a corporate war going on and they would do all to stop adani this way or that way so that's the part the government is not going to get into this but it is also important the government has also sent a signal to the 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 people who are regulators they have to do their job they have to be on the guard they have to be they have to maintain vigil that message has gone out i mean at least the finance minister nirmala sitaraman ji has made two three statements inside the house and outside the house saying that regulators will have to do the job and the government is not going to stand in the way of them so long as the projects are being completed on time so long as the the debt is being uh, you know service in its uh, in a proper way i don't think there will be any big worry in terms of a political worry for the prime minister regarding the projects being handled by adani otherwise i think it's going to be an electoral battle it will be a battle of perception as the prime minister said people who are making these charges against me will have to realize that the people who vote for me are not going to believe it 
So that is the kind of confidence that the Prime Minister has in his persona and his appeal. Because he says it has a lot to do with what his government is doing for them in terms of welfare schemes, the implementation of welfare schemes. Thank you so much. And before we go to the next question, I should add one small nugget of information. See, I was requested to come and uh, uh, present or, or uh, have a book release function in a small town. I mean, a small town relative to like the big four, uh, a town called Belagavi. Belagavi is used to be Belgaum. It's on the border of Karnataka and Maharashtra. And uh, I was in Coimbatore. So there is no direct flight. But because of Udan scheme, where I believe that companies who are running airlines, they get a hefty discount to go to some of these underserved airports. You know what I found, Shekharji? This flight was from, uh, from I went from Coimbatore to Hyderabad. From Hyderabad, there was a flight to Belgaum. That flight was full, sir. It was a full flight. There were only a few air, uh, airport uh, pl planes landing and taking off from Belgaum. It's a beautiful airport. Then on the way back, there was no flight in the morning for the following day for me to get back to Coimbatore. So what they did, the organizers did very clever. 50 kilometers south is Hubli Darwar Airport. So they had somebody drive me to that airport. From there, I flew to uh, Bengaluru. From Bengaluru, I went to Coimbatore. Again, full flight. I can proudly say myself, that I have landed and taken off from every airport that is there in Karnataka. Bengaluru, Bengaluru, Mysore, uh, Hubli, as well as Belagavi. I'm sure there are more coming up. And this was all done in the last few years. You look at Mysore airport, you look at Hubli airport, you look at Belagavi airport, top of the line, very, very fresh, newly minted, excellent airports. So all this is happening. We don't seem to understand how many levels this government is functioning. I just wanted to tip my hat to the government. Next question, yes, please. Yeah, you are indeed right. And and the, the only thing that can be held against the Prime Minister is that he wants to, everything to happen fast. Because from his point of view, you know, we cannot delay any further when it comes to infrastructure expansion, new expressways, new highways, new connectivity, you know, rapid, uh, mass rapid uh, rail transit services. Today, he inaugurated uh, the one section of the Delhi-Mumbai expressway. And this is going to cut short that uh, distance. I mean, the time involved in traveling between Delhi and Jaipur to begin with, at least by a couple of hours. So maybe you can do it in three hours. And uh, once Shatab, uh, I mean, your Bande Bharat is uh, run between Delhi and Jaipur very soon. The, the, the idea is to travel between Delhi and Jaipur in two, two and a half hours. Sir, businessmen will understand the importance of time. Those who are, you know, those who have to travel work will understand. And the Prime Minister is, you know, seized by this, I would say, a frenzy to get things done at whatever cost. And it, so that India is actually on a growth path. Other than that, I can't see that, you know, he getting into some small deals. Because, see, in terms of resources, the party has no problem. And I don't think Prime Minister himself, given his track record in Gujarat, is bothered about these things. What is more driving him is... You know, no matter what, if you have to bend rules, beg, borrow, steal, you know, get the projects going so that there is visibility for the people to appreciate and understand what this government is trying to do. Next question, please. Um, Karthik Vishwanathan wants to know, the toolkit had started its dirty work, it seems. 
New York Times has published a front page news item as to how democracy is dark in India and other stuff. Will this affect uh, the chances of BJP? You know, these are all rag magazines. You also have things similar to that in India also. You know, uh, people are no longer consuming news from TV or from uh, newspapers alone. They are consuming, like for example, there are right now 1117 people watching. By the way, I hope all of you have liked this video because if you did, I would have 2500 people watching. Thank you again. If you have not liked this video, please like. The question, the point I'm trying to make is we can quickly come to the bottom of a topic because we are loose, flexible, and we know where the source of information is. Whereas a newspaper only comes once a day, a TV news program comes only once or twice a day. So they have some strong limitations. We don't have that. That is the appreciation that you show by coming and watching us instead of watching the main channels. Thank you so much for that. Let's go to the next question. Uh, sir, sir, you want to answer that one? Karthik Vishwanathan's question? Well, I think that, the, you know, a decade ago, you know, we all would be worried about what Washington Post said or New York Times said or what BBC reported, you know. We would always, you know, uh, you know get into some kind of a self-flagellation, you know. We, we would, you know, blame, of, oh, the, this is how we are written about this. But today, I think more and more uh, young Indians, are, okay, they understand the, 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 you know, the, the, the perception that is unavoidable in certain instances. But at the same time, they are also able to sense bias. Bias in the way these uh, outlets look at India. Therefore, I think we, we, there is no more uh, tension, as it were. You know, you, New York Times can say what it wants to say or Washington Post can do whatever it wants. But at the time when their own countries are you know, in trouble, when their own countries are facing serious issues, Instead of applying, you know, some standard on us, rather they should, you know, as they say, apne andar jhako, when it look within, is kind of thing. And, and I can see that many people are no longer, because a decade or two earlier, you know, we would all get uh, uh, what some paper New York Times said would appear on the front page of Indian newspapers. Can you think of a situation, New York Times carrying a piece saying what the Times of India, India thinks about what happened in America? So I think there is a lot of uh, uh, awakening, as it were, so that the people realize that, look, <clears throat> of course, these organizations claim they are very professional and they are trying to portray a picture which uh, they think is not being written about in the Indian media, but that's a different story. Okay, we can they can write what they want, but we know what is happening to us and what is not happening to us. Pranav Prakash Tiwari wants to know, how is BJP doing in Chhattisgarh? We haven't heard much about the, what the BJP plans to do. Uh, but uh, Chhattisgarh is under now Bhupesh uh, Bhagel, who has been, you know, he is now the one-man show in uh, Chhattisgarh. And he has been using the resources of Chhattisgarh to help Congress in different states. So there is a lot of anti-incumbency there. I think the BJP will reveal their plans for Chhattisgarh once they are done with Karnataka and Tripura. And we are going to see changes in the uh, BJP setup in Chhattisgarh and where the bottom line approach is, you know, get more and more young people, fresh faces to handle, uh, to connect with the voters and present a new uh, re-energized BJP in Chhattisgarh. Next question, please. 
Karthik Vishnathan again, happy that Shekharji mentioned civic issues. I'm from Bangalore and part of some citizenry groups. Civic intra is collapsing. Karthik, one small add on to that before I hand the mic over to Shekharji. Bangalore sits on soft sand. You have to first, you know, fortify this the foundation before you can put some infrastructure projects on it. Remember how long it took for that Ebal to new airport road to be built because they had to actually first strengthen the foundation. So there is there are some challenges like that. Over to you, Shekharji. Indeed, you know, you are right, Shri. You know, Bangalore has been sitting on this uh, problem for a long time, and there has been. Uh, haphazard development where you know new plots have been uh, acquired and you know a lot of landfills upon which you know you have had the huge constructions taking place and one good rain then you know whole bangalore seems to be floating and previously we used to only talk about the traffic jams because the roads were narrow they could take the traffic but today this problem you know you have drainage issues and also some very appalling uh, Things that have happened, you know, look at this. Some schools are run by the local um, uh, municipal corporation. Conditions there. I don't know. No party which is in power seems to have done any good. And today, voters in Bangalore in particular are facing a situation for them. The Congress and the BJP, you know, the people who represent them, they look alike. Yes. And sometimes they are just plain labels and there is nothing to look forward to any election. Because the same lot comes or the same lot gets divided and assumes a new, it's like an amoeba. And they feel that nothing much is happening. Of course, in Bangalore, you have a very strong, uh, you know, citizenship vigil groups who are pointing out these issues, particularly the way the infra is collapsing at the way, you know, even other issues, whether it is policing, whether it is condition of schools, condition of roads, you know, these are all issues that are, you know, coming to the fore, the, the transport services, but at the same time, I think if it's up to the people to, you know, vote for a stable government to give stability, because the, after all, you get the government, you choose the kind of people you elect. If, if there is a hung house, or if you are giving one party a certain majority, then that that party is because you remember when we discussed Karnataka, I mentioned a figure of 122 because I many leaders have told me, you know, for a stable government to function, at least it should have. At least 122 or some kind, you know, that's the figure they keep saying. Because our problem is the borderline cases, it's just two seats more than the halfway mark, then the instability sets in. Or you will have to have a coalition, say, with a party like Janata Dal Secular, whether it is Congress or BJP. Let one party get complete majority. And... Thank and let them because they always the if they are always voting a almost a hung house. Now, two, two things before we go to the next question, viewers. One of the the things I observed, I had one uh, specialist come and tell in Bengaluru how to build a regenerating ecosystem, and he has actually built this like a. Uh, a square plot of land and that is very close to the airport when I, when I find the details I'll share it with you he was actually on our channel and and you know you have to dig up to 40 to 80 feet into the ground because up up until that that layers are all completely corrupted by the fertilizers and all the other things we've been putting in so you have to reach there and then bring out that sand and then from there you can build a self-sustaining ecosystem number one number two how many of you have noticed this 
3,000-year-old temple on your way from the airport to Hebal. There is one. I believe it is a Hanuman temple. The driver pointed out to me because around that are all swanky buildings. This temple looked like it's going to fall anytime. It's 3,000 years old. Look, so many of you are billionaires because of the real estate boom in Bengaluru. Why can't you try and see if you can maintain that temple? 3,000 years old. I rest my case. Next question, sir. Rajiv Dhya wants to know, Prashant Bhushan's contempt of SC is also in Nazir's tweet. Well, uh, I think, sir, go ahead, sir. I think he's talking about what happened when Prashant Bhushan was pulled up in front of Supreme Court. Yeah, he has been, uh, of course, he was let off with a warning and sometimes, you know, the, 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 the judiciary feels no point in, you know, making a big deal out of this because these people, <clears throat> they are not going to, uh, you know, change. And they have been constantly speaking against the judiciary in utter contempt. You know, I mean, we can make out the... I mean, it's a sign to actually browbeat the judiciary. The sense like, look, if you give a judgment which is different from what we want, then we will, you know, rake up all these things with you. And that is one of the reasons why Prashant Bhushan has had problems in the Supreme Court because his pails are no longer, you know, attended uh, with that seriousness which they used to be earlier. Of course, he does take up some causes which have, <clears throat> which does, uh, you know, involve the judiciary seriously examining the matter. But it is not in that. Uh, frequency with which it used to happen earlier. Next question, please. Uh, Magnet Ranga again. Sir, the appointments of governors under Congress weren't free for free of controversies. Examples of Kumud Ben Joshi in the undivided AP when Sri NTR was CM, uh, HR Bharadwaj in Karnataka when Mr. Edurapa was CM, and how these CMs were treated by these governors cannot be forgotten, or the case of midnight appointment of Jagadim. Jagadambika Pal as CM in UP by Ramesh Bhandari over the ruling Kalyan Singh. Why isn't the BJP taking up such examples to counter the Congress? Well, these cases are well known, and uh, of course, the BJP spokesperson do mention, you know, the instances where Rajban was completely converted into, you know, the, the Congress uh, headquarters in various states. That has been there, even in Parliament, sir. Uh, 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 two days ago, when the uh, uh, Prime Minister was referring to, you are accusing us of, <clears throat> you know, st trampling upon the states, power of the states. He recalled all the occasions when, you know, how many times uh, the Article 356 was invoked to dismiss the elected government, starting from Nehru's dismissal of EMS Nambudribad government in 1959. That was the first time the Congress Indira government... Indira Gandhi was a Congress elected, party president. Elected, uh, elected government, the first... Elected communist government in the world was dismissed because Nehru didn't like it. So, the, the, I mean, when it comes to this, it is there. But then, sir, our system is such. I mean, the governors play an important role. You know, if there is a full-fledged majority, there is no issue. But where the states, again, as I mentioned, you are going to have uh, a fractured mandate, then the role of the Rajbhan, role of governor becomes very crucial in forming a stable government. And no root party is going to let go an opportunity to have somebody whom it trusts in Rajbhavan. Yes, indeed. And uh, now let's go to the next question. Simple Jack wants to know, how can a judiciary who is supposed to lead by example indulge in so much nepotism? 12 out of 32 judges are related to other judges or political leaders. Good point. It didn't happen yesterday. It's been happening for a long time. Take it away, sir. 
Well, that, that is the reason why the National Judicial Commission was thought of. That in order you will have to streamline the, the way the judicial appointments are made. But then the, all the, the entire judiciary you know, joined hands and they threw out that uh, bill that was passed by parliament and almost 15 state legislatures had given endorsement. So, well, the debate is still continuing. And uh, of course, of late, uh, one can see that some kind of a truce has been effected between the judiciary and the government. And uh, where probably there will be more, uh, uh, I would say, discussions between the government and judiciary, how to go about this, uh, you know, the, because the, the judiciary is still sensitive to, you know, allowing uh, any return of the National Judicial Commission kind of thing back that they are uh, you know very sensitive but at the same time probably some discussions can happen where things can be more uh, you know things can there can be more transparency in the method of selection and and as far as this uh, nepotism issue is concerned there are numerous instances you know whether at the state level or at the central level and this has been a, a matter which you know talked about in the bar and even in the bench i mean on the bench Next question, please. Uh, Gaurav Chaudhary wants to know, as a co-in-charge, can Annamalai do magic in favor of BJP game in Karnataka where he did service as an IPS officer? Well, a co-in-charge will be assisting the in-charge, that is Darbhita Pradhan himself. Now, the idea to deploy Annamalai uh, has, uh, you know, two things, uh, I mean, two purposes. One, BJP central leadership thinks that Annamalai is an important leader and he's also a national leader who will who will uh, take care of, uh, who can be deployed as and when the BJP leadership feels his services are needed. That is what. So therefore, asking him to join in the efforts of the BJP to win the Karnataka elections is a very significant thing and recognition of Annamalai's you know, uh, expertise. And though he is very new to politics, he quit IPS and then joined uh, uh, BJP for a full political life. But the fact that he has been interested also to do with the fact that he was one of the very successful IPS officer in Karnataka, knows Kannada language and has a lot of contacts there which are which can be of great help to uh, for the BJP's election management. Next. Okay, that brings us to a close of today's program and Shekharji, as always a pleasure listening to you sir you bring so many nuggets when we listen to you that often is you know not even looked at by the msm i'm not faulting them they have their own compulsions trp and what have you but viewers thank you for your support we'll be back again next saturday time permitting Shekharji is really busy these days if not saturday we'll definitely try to do it one or two days this way or that way but you guys are steadfast in your support of us we thank you from the bottom of our hearts please like share and subscribe to our channel don't forget to click on the bell button for notification shekharji namaskar and we'll see you again very soon sir thank you sir thank you very much